very much um, all of that. Um, thank you very much, Bill, for that, uh, for setting the scene for this um, launch of the Queen Mary Life Sciences Initiative and for doing so in such an inspirational way. Um, my name's uh, Mike Curtis. I'm the um, Dean for Dentistry, um, but I'm also um, the Deputy Vice Principal for Health. And I'm standing in for um, Richard Trembach, who sadly can't be with us today. So um, it, it's my um, role to explain um, how the, the, this Life Sciences Initiative can benefit um, not only Queen Mary, but specifically, um, I think, the, the School of Medicine and Dentistry. And this figure here is one that many of you will be familiar with. It's the, the biomedical research cycle, which links um, basic science findings at the bottom of that circle. As you go around um, through diagnosis, population studies, and into actual delivery of those findings into the clinic, and they themselves bring back into that basic science um, agenda. And I think it's this um, this cycle, if you like, that we feel most optimistic about in regards to the, this new agenda. Um, life sciences is a pretty hot topic at the moment. Um, these are the, the image on the left and in the middle, taken from recent government reports in this area, emphasising the um, value of life sciences to the, the economy of the country through um, industry and academia working together to the benefit of, of patients. In the centre, a, a more recent report on how we capitalise on, on advances in genetics and the potential of genomics to deliver and improve um, healthcare. And then over on the right-hand side, um, from a new statesman, how life sciences could potentially um, feed into the, the growth of the UK economy. So it, it's unsurprising that if you scour around the web and look at all universities in the UK, that you'll find a pretty large presence of life sciences. This is just taken from a couple of our um, institutions in London and some of the uh, provincial universities further afield. And all of them, um, um, if you dig deep enough and not necessarily dig that far, you can find a, a, a determination, if you like, to develop a life science agenda within a multi-faculty institution. And you could say, well, um, given that these universities across the UK are doing this, heavily engaged in it and promoting it. Where does that leave Queen Mary? Are we late off the starting blocks in doing this? And um, I've got three reasons why I think that isn't the case. Three reasons that I think we're in a, a unique position to develop a really um, um, international program in, in life sciences. And the first one, not to sound too much like an estate agent, is location. The uh, map on the left-hand side shows the location of our four main campuses um, out here at Wild End, heading west to Whitechapel, further west to Charterhouse Square, and finally landing in Holborn. And the, the image on the right-hand side, if you stood on a very tall ladder somewhere around about Holborn, that's the kind of view you get looking east. And we start by looking out over the city, one of the most prosperous and wealthy 
areas of the United Kingdom. And you can see beyond uh, the Mile End Road, past uh, uh, the Royal London Hospital, I hope you can see that, the blue building in the centre there, out to the um, Olympic Camp, or Olympic Park, with the new Olympic Stadium. And um, Bill reminded us of population growth in London. Well, on that Olympic Park, just over the next 10 years, we're expecting a growth of around about 40,000 individuals. Um, the, the range of um, population that this university serves locally in our hospitals and medical schools and dental schools serve is an extraordinary range of um, population wealth and, and population um, and social conditions. This shows this in a bit more detail, but the darker red boroughs of this map are those that are most socially deprived, and it's no secret that the uh, boroughs of uh, Newham, Hackney, um, Tower Hamlets are amongst the most um, deprived boroughs in the United Kingdom. That um, has been this way for over 100 years and beyond, and it provides a, a fantastic clinical resource for the net for the kind of studies that um, have been proposed as part of our um, life sciences initiative. The, the map on the right hand side I'll come back to later on, but that indicates the density um, in our adjacent boroughs of our Bangladesh um, Asian population, which again shows that in some areas it's up to 50% of those boroughs population. The last area I think that we can be rightly proud of and say that differentiates us from many other um, universities is our engagement. Our engagement with our public, our engagement with our schools, and our engagement with, with uh, the, the, the opinion leaders, if you like, in our local communities and beyond. That's important. That's really important for the nature of the studies that we wish to do. As Bill explained, in order to do these kinds of studies, you need full engagement with the local population in order to properly phenotype individuals and to take maximum benefit from our patient population. We need a way of communicating and accessing those groups of individuals. And I think we're in an extraordinary place, largely because of the history of this institution, which was essentially based on, a, on an engagement exercise when it initially started out as people to come. And that's led to some really fantastic high-profile um, engagement projects across all three of our faculties. So Computer Science for Fun in uh, Science and Engineering Faculty, Central Cell, as already mentioned, in um, School of Medicine and Dentistry, and then My Lane Group and People's Palace, two really high-profile engagement projects based in humanities and social science. So I think we've got the kind of cards we just need to play to do. Um, this is a, where we envisage our um, engagement expanding on the Whitechapel campus. This is already planned, this is an extension of the centre of the cell, <coughs> which is going to be called Neuron Pod, which will be outside and provide additional space for engagement, particularly with um, school children through workshops and so on, in a project led by, by Fran Borkel. And the, the, the opportunities, I think, that we develop at the Whitechapel site to, to produce this kind of activity, but on a larger scale, are, are, are tremendous. So I'll give you a quick rundown 
of um, what's already happening in life science and across the School of Medicine and Dentistry. Of course, our two main campuses. And over on the Charterhouse campus, um, we've got excellence in cancer through Barts Cancer Institute, in fact, a, a CRUK Centre of Excellence. A fantastic group of individuals in cardiovascular and inflammation research, David Fenster and William Harvey. And then a really influential group um, based in the Wolfson Institute um, of Preventative Medicine. And I, I think one of the um, defining features of how important that group are came from our rep for term in clinical medicine at the end of last year, where we were obliged uh, under rep guidelines to submit a series of impact case studies. The Wilson Institute provided waves, this disproportionately way higher numbers of impact case studies for our rectum than any other area of the uh, clinical medicine activity we do. And that's because of their, um, their leading role in novel um, epidemiological approaches to the study of health, novel diagnostics, and novel preventative methodologies. And that was actually translated into benefit for um, the public and populations in general. Over in Whitechapel, the Blizzard Institute, um, based just behind where we would dearly like to develop this life science initiative, the Blizzard um, covers a range of clinical disciplines that are represented in the Royal London Hospital. But I think more um, importantly, it's now organised into research themes which cover each of those clinical areas from genomics right the way through to population health. You wouldn't expect me to stand up here without talking about dentistry. Um, 89 million pound building should soon to be opened. We've all been invited to the party. Um, with strengths in, in oral cancer, in heart tissues and in biomaterials, um, through groups that are actually based here on the Mylanx, and just adjacent to, to groups in, in science and engineering. Infection in the immunity and population health. So that's our current um, activity. Um, I'm going to finish with an example of a project which um, could form part of the initial phases of this life science initiative. In fact, probably will assist it through funding less from the Wellcome Trust. And um, before I come to that, this is the overall vision. So we wish to progress excellence in biomedical, translational research and teaching and training relevant to the local population, whilst addressing the challenge of local health and potential for wealth creation. And this will involve an alignment of both our research, education, and public engagement strategies. This is a, I um, feel a bit fraudulent standing up here, I know nothing about genetics, but here you go. This is a project led by um, uh, Richard Trembath, uh, uh, Vice Principal, um, which um, at, at its essence aims to take advantage of a very um, unusual finding that's come from genetics, um, genetic analysis of populations so far, which shows that the prevalence of knockouts, or gene knockouts, um, can be sufficiently high that even with a relatively modest study of populations, you can identify individuals who lack a gene function. And I've just shown down here some examples of how um, identifying gene knockouts has had some really um, outstanding benefits to, to human health. And the one I'll focus on is the one on the right, the right hand side. 
since um, Timothy Ray Brown, also known as the Berlin Patient. And this is significant because CCR5 is um, a receptor on the, present, on the surface of the immune cells, which HRV uses to enter the immune cells. And um, individuals who are knockout for CCR5 are at a significantly lower risk of HRV infection, less than 10%. <clears throat> Timothy Ray Brown was um, an AIDS patient, and he had a bone marrow transplant from a CCR5 knockout individual. So his immune system was essentially restarted with a, a CCR5 knockout, and he was essentially cured from AIDS. <clears throat> and that finding um, is based upon an understanding not only of the genetics, but of the biology and how to translate that into a clinical setting. This um, map that I showed you earlier um, shows you the, the density of um, Pakistani and Bangladeshi populations in our local communities. And this is significant because it's thought that the chances of identifying um, gene knockouts is going to be significantly higher in populations of consanguineous marriage. And so we're in a unique position to examine this population and through funding from the Wellcome Trust have embarked on a project which aims to recruit between 20 and 30,000 adults. Um, apologies for the busyness of this slide, which will prepare this one. Um, but what it shows you is that um, a study of this nature involves many of the elements that I, I talked about earlier plus a broader involvement of life science activity across the whole institution. So we need public and community engagement in order to engage with the individuals who form part of this major sequencing initiative. We'll need ethics and law and, and legal studies drawn from humanities and social science to set the kind of context for this research. And we'll need um, informatics, computing, and uh, along with sequencing to actually achieve the studies. And, and lastly, we'll need uh, facilities for clinical phenotyping, experimental medicine, in order to properly characterize the individuals who are ultimately identified as being knockouts um, uh, in this population. This is pilot data from that study, which is pretty extraordinary. This was based, I think, on about 3,000, so 10% of the total. And, and what it shows you is that within that 3,200 individuals were identified um, with knockouts, with a, with a, with a gene knockout. <clears throat> of those 200, a um, significant number were already targets for, for drugs. 25% um, of them have already been um, used as targets for drugs, so there's a way to experimentally look at those. But perhaps even more surprisingly, of those 200, 20 of them have also been um, attempted to be knocked out in, in model organisms, and indeed in mice, 20 of those gene knockouts are lethal. And so our ability to work and look at the, the function of these genes in experimental animal models is, is very limited, because it's, in, in those systems, loss of that gene function is, is, is lethal. And therefore, use, uh, identification of function in humans is actually the only way to do this. Why do it in East London? Well, I, I hope I've convinced you that we've got the largely varied ethnic population that would allow us to do that. Um, we've got a comprehensive 
um, electronic health data sets. We've got fantastic collaborations involving the Farm Institute um, for patient informatics, um, links with our local hospitals, and links with centres for um, sequencing. But in addition to that, um, links into the population, not only through engagement exercises, but also through um, over 150 local uh, general practices. As Simon said at the, at the beginning, um, the, the, the potential for redevelopment of the Whitechapel site allows us to, to think big for this, for this study. And I'd say, in closing, that um, development of this, um, the facilities on, on the Whitechapel campus for the, these kinds of studies that would be required to, to bring this to fruition will be beneficial not only to um, UK science, to UK industry, but to our local population to our school children and to the, the, the broader uh, communities that